final hour of the Hoffman Show here on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Manana, we will be at Capital One Arena. Uh, Anthony, do you know if we're at District D or are we in the concourse tomorrow? I'm guessing we're at District D. I think they're having another block party uh, with the, the new court and all that kind of stuff being celebrated, which I realize there's great irony in, uh, if we're being honest, with the uh, celebrating something so D.C., something so district with the boundary stones and everything uh, on the heels of the week's news. But um, I do believe that they're having another block party and we'll be at, we'll be at Capital One tomorrow. Uh, and District D, I should say, tomorrow. Uh, that I don't know. Okay. Um, I wish I was going because I wouldn't know. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe I wouldn't know. Yeah. I, we're going to find a, a remote soon that you can come to. That's a priority for me. That would be greatly appreciated. I don't know if it can necessarily be a high priority because I don't really actually have control <laughs> over these things. But what I tell you, what's the remote that you should you should make sure you come on? Vegas, bro. Oh, yeah. See if you can get yourself out to, to Radio Row. Yes. Because I'm going to be there. I booked those flights for real, for real. I'm going to look into it. So the boys the boys are going to the chicanery that is Radio Row in Las Vegas uh, coming up in, in a couple of months. Uh, right now, speaking of chicanery, shenanigans, tomfoolery, it is time for Never Read the Comments. We tried to warn them. They didn't listen. Every week, the Hoffman Show goes into the belly of the beast. We read those comments, baby. Never read the comments. All right, it is time to dive into the deepest, darkest part of the internet. That's right, the comments section, specifically my comments section. At Craig Hoffman on YouTube. We also check them at the Team 980. And we also have episodes of Take Command in full at 1067 The Fan. Uh, obviously, the big topic that we posted a bunch of content from yesterday are our interviews around the monumental sports teams leaving for Potomac Yards, uh, at least the framework of the deal in place, etc., etc. Um, rarely do we get a point so good from user XB6RN7QY2X that we have to actually read their username and, and use the comment because normally those are user blah, 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 word vomit, letter number vomit. Um, those are typically where the worst comments come from. But no, no, no. We had a great comment from user dash XB6RN7QY2X talking about Ted Leonsis and his role in this and, and kind of the title of the the opening segment yesterday was, I don't care if Ted Leonsis got a good business deal. And user, you get it by now, uh, said, this isn't even real capitalism. Ted was allowed the honor and privilege to own a multi-billion dollar monopoly that is the Washington Wizards over professional basketball in the entire region that has a huge and authentic basketball culture at that. He doesn't have direct competitors and doesn't even have to put out a quality product. That's not real capitalism. If y'all, the people defending him online, are going to use that lame excuse, then let's allow another NBA team in D.C. and see how he 
reacts. And I think this is a great point. And I mentioned this earlier in the show, but I will mention it again here because it's been a few hours and most of you probably weren't listening at four o'clock. But professional sports isn't capitalism, the way in which we assign team ownership. And so this idea that, oh, they're the owners, they just get to make the money, to me, falls so incredibly short. European sports, like specifically soccer, with their tiers and relegation and promotion and uh, the ability for anybody to start a club and, and get involved, and if you climb the ladder, you climb the ladder, that is that is capitalism. That is cutthroat competition, baby. What you have in American pro sports is oligarchy. And to the extent there's competition, it's with other entertainment. It's with other, you know, do I want to go to a movie tonight or do I want to watch the Wizards game? Do I want to watch the Wizards game on TV or do I want to watch The Voice? Do I want to go to the Wizards game or the Capitals game or go to a bowling alley or a movie theater? And these are, there, there's other elements, of course. You can always spend your money somewhere else or your attention somewhere else. But even within pro sports, specific to the Capitals and the Wizards, they're not in competition with each other. They can't play the same night at home. They share an arena. And that is something that I think is another part of this that we're going to talk about in a little bit is the idea, like part of the reason this is happening this way is because you've got two franchises with two very different fan bases and two, well, there's a ton of overlap, two different fan bases and two different kind of competing not competing, but two alternate sets of goals to win, to make money, to do all these things, but they're they're not related to each other that are all of a sudden related because they're owned by the same person? Like, what's best for the Capitals may not be what's best for the Wizards, and what's best for the Wizards may not be what's best for the Capitals, and yet they are tied together? No, that seems, that's ridiculous. Signs of an oligarchy. A small amount of people have immense amounts of power. And I don't necessarily begrudge people owning multiple teams, but I, the more I think about it, the more I like the Stan Kroenke, well, I guess Kroenke owns the abs and the, the Nuggets, but the, the let's call it the Josh Harris model. You own one team in D.C., you own one team in Philadelphia, you own one team in New Jersey, you own one team in London. They, they operate independently and they do what's best for them. I think you owe it to the fans to have that and to be like, oh, yeah, no, hey, it's Ted's team's. I agree with this commenter. You have the honor and the privilege of owning the teams. You should act in what's best for the teams, and that means what is best ultimately for the team's fans. And that is trying to put a winning product on the court and prioritizing that over your own financial gain. Doesn't mean you can't make money. It just means you should prioritize winning and making sure you serve the fans who have kept that franchise afloat to the point that you bought it. I think that's that's a totally fair and reasonable ask. And yet some people are like, the billionaire has a right to make more money. Whatever. Uh, David Herzing, 1496, with our dumbest comment of the week. Oh, look, this is on uh, our chat with Andy Zimbalist, one of the leading economists who studies sports economies in the world. He goes, oh, look, Craig just happens to be friends with a leading economist. No agenda here. I would ask this question, Anthony, what agenda would I have? What, like, what are the possible agendas I have by having an economist on? Like, let's, let's pretend I did have an, a quote unquote agenda. What, what agenda is accomplished by talking to an economist? 
are you yourself trying to become an economist? Uh, no. Uh, I, Have you I, seen our show's history with math? <laughs> I don't know, Craig. Like, I got a couple of these types of comments, and it's like, your agenda. And, like, if you want to call me a socialist because I I view these teams as, like, things that should be, that belong to the people, and I'm not this pure, uncut, whatever, worship at the altar of the almighty dollar capitalist, then fine. Like, whatever. I, I'm perfectly like i laugh at those responses and by the way i just spent the first five minutes of this segment explaining why your capitalist example is stupid and wrong um but i do find it funny when you get uh, accused of conspiracy theories that don't make sense because there was also another comment we got about are your overlords pushing this and it's like pushing what i asked somebody smarter than me with more knowledge than me in a specific area questions there is no agenda there but now we all get to laugh at you and never read the comments. So that's that's cool. Um, Chad K6996 says, I can't wait to go see the Red Wings smash the, he calls them the craps, <laughs> the caps in an actual nice area slash arena. I've hated going to Chinatown for games for years. The area is a total dumpster fire and the surrounding area is void of anything nice. Oh wait, there's a CVS across the street and some subpar bars. Okay, Chad, what exactly are you looking forward to in Alexandria right now? I know they're going to build a mini city, but you realize that right now what's in Alexandria is a dirt and a target. And you're mad about subpar bars and a CVS? Huh? I'm not telling you that Chinatown Gallery Place, Penn Quarter is my favorite area of D.C., I'm not telling you that it's exactly thriving right now, but I have a lot more sympathy and empathy for that area and the changes it's undergone, like many business districts across America, because of a pandemic that changed the way that we live and work. And so instead of whining and complaining about it, like let's let's be intelligent about what it is. And Chad. There's plenty of amazing world-class restaurants in Penn Quarter. So I don't know why you're going to your subpar bars, but may I recommend to you Haleo by Jose Andres or Oyamel by Jose Andres, a world-renowned and world-class chef. Carmine's is a very well-known and respected Italian chain. Get your big giant family and go to Carmine's and have some pasta. Um, there's a bunch of other like smaller, fast casual type of places, your sweet greens. Um, when I was down there for jury duty the other day in the neighborhood, I went to the Bindas Bowl place uh, for lunch. Uh, Bindas, a great Indian restaurant that has kind of a fast casual uh, bowls restaurant uh, style, like your Chipotle style restaurant down there. Um, and while plenty have closed, a place like Bar Louie that has been replaced by District E, which they did a very great job of inside, like this Alexandria location is begging for a Bar Louie that was there forever. Uh, you know, Penn Quarter Sports Bar. Like, there's all kinds of stuff up and down the, the monetary scale, up and down the niceness scale, up and down the personality and the character scale, uh, from suit and tie to bottom basement bar. And that's kind of the goal. And it works as long as there's people there. The problem is there's no more people there. And so that is what it is. Chad, have fun in Alexandria uh, on whatever... Uh, 
thing they build up from the ground and all its personality. Not that I'm anti-Alexandria. I love Alexandria. It's a very cool part of the DMV. Um, but so is DC. Um, and downtown's important. Uh, at GBRV8IM says, not good for Alexandria traffic that already stinks. Um, one, yesterday at this time, we talked to Adam Tuss about the transportation side of this, and he was awesome. One of the better interviews and more, I would say not even better, like one of the really more insightful interviews that we've had on something that is so incredibly relevant to all of our lives, getting around in a long time. Adam, of course, NBC Forest transportation reporter. We talked about how this Potomac Yard Station is like on the chopping block on Metro side of it right now. Adam and others also reporting today that Metro wasn't remotely aware of, like no one at Metro was aware of that this announcement was coming at Potomac Yards yesterday. So meanwhile, they're going to all the jurisdictions and they're like, hey, uh, we might need to shut down a bunch of Metro stations and, and slash this and cut that because we're in a $500 million hole, I think is the number. And they're like, yeah, uh, this whole arena complex is going to work because the new Potomac Yard station that nobody goes to and isn't big enough to handle it. Seems like a flaw in the plan. I'd also mention this. And I saw some some folks talking about this yesterday. Imagine, Anthony, actually, I'm going to bring you in here. Uh, it's 7 o'clock. The show ends. You have a flight out of town uh, that you need to get to Reagan for. Right now, how long does that take you? You've done that a couple times recently. Yeah, I have. It's taken me probably about 8 to 10 minutes. Yeah. Real smooth drive. Imagine if all of a sudden you had Wizards or Capitals game traffic. Yeah, uh, I probably would have missed my flight. Yeah. I would be stressing, at least. Yeah, you'd probably have to take off from work to make sure that you could get there on time. Uh, or you'd have to take an alternate route. You'd, you'd take uh, the green, you'd probably Metro, take the green line back up to, to L'Enfant and then hop on a yellow train out to the airport. Good gracious. That's a lot. Um, it is. And by the way, if you live in the city, I highly recommend taking the Metro to the airport. It's great. And uh, you don't have to worry about parking. And, you know, that's that's a huge plus because parking at the airport is expensive and all that. But anyone who's at rush hour tried to get to the airport, it's terrible. Now imagine rush hour plus a freaking basketball or hockey game. That area is going to be a disaster. And I know that they've talked about, Monumental has like, oh, we're going to have to change some of the traffic patterns and we're committed to this and we're committed to helping build an expansion of this metro line station like i'd imagine also getting off a flight like let's say you you know anthony same question right you go to your your game that you're working anthony's been doing some some statistician work on the weekends for uh, some game broadcasts and flying all over the country and and you come back on sunday night and you're like i'm gonna uber home Oh, by the way, your Uber now has to fight game traffic. And so surge pricing, you're now looking at like, geez, for you to get back to prep, bro, it's like a $150 Uber. Easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at some some pennies for sure. It's going to be a lot of money. It might as well, you might as well just take that Metro to, ironically, to Gallery Place and hop on the, the red line there and skeet out all back on uptown. Yeah. Good gracious. It's not good. No. And so, like, these are, and, and, you know, we deal with this with, like, the football team, obviously, with FedEx and, and whatever, and these are concerns around RFK, but it's different 10 times per year. 
if both teams are at this arena, that is 82 nights a year you're talking about this stuff. 82 nights a year that you have a conflict, at least. And if, God forbid, they're good and they go to the playoffs, you know, over 100 nights a year. Um, plus concerts, plus whatever else. You're, you're talking about a t very high frequency that not only residential areas in Alexandria have total bamboozlement of traffic, but one of the nation's busier airports also has this issue. And that conflict is one that I think needs to be considered by the state assembly, by the local folks in Alexandria, um, and something that I think everyone who uses DCA needs to think about. So just, you know, more food for thought, not saying it should be a deal breaker, not saying that this is the end and whatever, but like it's something that needs to be figured out and dealt with sooner rather than later because the more steps and complication of things that need to be built, whether it's additional highway, whether it's, um, you know, side roads that lead their special event only to the arena, whether it is, again, an expansion of this metro station that is currently not remotely built for this kind of volume, you need to you need to get a move on it because the construction is like the planning stage. You don't have you have like a year and then you got three years to build it before the teams are going to be in there. Woo. Woo. Uh, real quick, a couple commanders comments here and never read the comments uh, on our video from Take Command talking about the potential next commander's head coach. Scott Cooper, 444, says we need a coach who doesn't let his system get in the way of what's best for the personnel. Too many coaches try to bend players to their system instead of creating opportunities to showcase their strengths. There is a saying, and it's fresh on my mind because we recorded uh, our fitness podcast, the Train With The Best podcast today. Uh, my buddy Chris Gores and I have only been doing that for eight years. Um, but there's a, there's a phrase that Chris taught me that we apply a lot in the personal training and in physical fitness world that I think applies to coaching in football world as well, which is methods are many, principles are few. Methods don't always last. Principles always do. I think it's important to have principles. We would like to attack a defense this way because it puts them in conflict and like there are big picture elements and, and philosophies of how you want to attack as a coach how you want to scheme and part of another principle is like I would like to get my best players the ball that would be a principle for me how you go about doing that depends on the people and you have to be able to customize it to who you have methods are many principles are few methods don't always last principles always do and I agree and I think certain coaches do a really great job of that Kyle Shanahan is the king of this um, other coaches including I think Eric Bieniemy this year in Washington not quite as much and you see the the difference uh, as, as well as obviously the people that Kyle is getting the ball to are much better football players than the people that Eric is trying to get the football to one way or another um, Ox Spiff says spot on about Ben Johnson who I've said is my favorite even despite the Lions recent struggles he's done a masterful job with golf by maximizing the things he does well and rather than simply copying concepts verbatim from what he executed in LA Johnson builds upon them by installing concepts that best suits the Lions personnel a strong running game that sets up a passing game that is both diverse yet simple for the quarterback to execute is exactly what we need to set up Howell for success I agree with that uh, really hope they're able to snag Johnson. He checks all the boxes you guys mentioned, plus analytical mindset. He's apparently a math and uh, computer science major that hopefully appeals to Josh Harris. 
and a QB from North Carolina. There's footage of him working with Hal at the Senior Bowl. It's serendipity. I think there's a lot to like about Ben Johnson. I thought it was interesting today. I want to try to reach out to ESPN and see if we can get Bill Barnwell in. Barnwell ranked 10 jobs that he thinks will be open or potentially open this offseason. He had the Washington job seventh. I think that's way too low. I know I'm a little bit biased, but sheesh, that feels incredibly low. Um, but I'd be curious to see what he thinks, and I'm guessing the roster is a part of that. But I got a lot of, a lot of resources to fix this roster. Um, that'll do for Never Read the Comments this week. If you would like to leave yours, you always can, at Craig Hoffman or at the team 980 on Take Command at 106.7 The Fan as well. We got a brand new Take Command podcast coming out tomorrow morning with Matt Miller from ESPN, who had a very interesting take on the quarterbacks in this class versus what he would, how he'd evaluate them versus Sam Howell. Definitely do not want to miss that. Might play it for you tomorrow on the radio show as well. But make sure you're subscribed to Take Command and to 1067 The Fans YouTube page. And of course, The Hoffman Show streams live all three hours every single day on the Team 980. When we get back here live on the Team 980, back to our top story, back to the Wizards and Capitals moving to Potomac Yards and why I still wonder if both actually have to move. I'll explain next on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live on the free Odyssey app as well. And of course, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. Back to our top story, and I'm willing to take a call or two. Uh, of course, you can... Ring us up, 301-230-0980 on the Ace Law listener line. If you're in a wreck, Ace Law helps you get a check. You call 8888-ACE-LAW, and they help you out, get that check. All is good. Um, but I, I wanted to dive into a comment that was made on Grant and Danny yesterday by a guy who's going to join us tomorrow, um, Jim Van Stone. Ironically, Jim was supposed to join us yesterday, and the way it works out, I'll just be straightforward, like our phone's crapped out for a second and it was the exact window when we were supposed to talk to Jim. Um, and I'm kind of like, I'm not happy about that, but, uh, but I am glad that our interviews got spaced out between uh, Grant and Danny and I, and, and I got to give credit to those guys. They did a great job yesterday with this interview and the stuff that they've been doing. And uh, Grant's been very nice in sending me text messages about some of the stuff that we've been doing. Um, so the, the good news is all of it is available on demand on the free Odyssey app because you can't listen to both of us at once. But um, Jim, Jim Van Stone, who's the COO of Monumental Sports, and again, we'll be able to talk to him tomorrow, and I can, because I've now heard their interview, can follow up on some of the very specific things that he said, talked about how Capital One Arena is not being left behind in his view, in Monumental's view. They're going to obviously take the Caps and Wizards and move them to Virginia in a new state-of-the-art arena, and then they're going to reshape Capital One Arena to make it a better place for the Mystics to play. They anticipate Georgetown basketball staying. And there's a lot of concerts and events that they currently cannot do because the commitments they have to the Capitals and Wizards that they believe they can fill those 82 nights a year, maybe and then some, with concerts they have to turn down. They, Jim talked about the convention center being right up the street and how 
he thinks that they can combo on events that are happening at the convention center and like these big speeches that happen where you need a room for 10,000 people and a convention that's attached to it um, where all the events are happening. And now you can host that in con conjunction Capitol and Arena and the convention center separated by a few blocks on foot and of course just one metro stop. But because of something he said in his answer, I would actually wonder and we'll ask Jim Van Stone tomorrow if both teams have to move in the first place first his answer on kind of the future of Capital One Arena you know one of the things that we have with being one of the busiest buildings in the country is we have a lot of dates that we don't have flexibility the other piece is the concert business and the family show business is doing really really well and we want to open up more opportunities to bring that to the greater Washington region and you know I'll be honest with you we miss out on shows that you know we would love to get based on the availability of the facility in the arena. So if we've got another venue here, you know, that affords a lot more opportunities from that standpoint. So, you know, Grant, we think the money uh, to make it work, you know, based on, on your comments is there. And I, I think a lot of it could be just rethinking and repurposing, you know, what we're doing today. And, you know, to have two major buildings in this marketplace that this market deserves, you know, I, I think it's, it's really a can't-miss opportunity in terms of every single event that's coming out there. So, you know, we believe there, there's a huge opportunity. I mean, we've had, you know, events where we'd love to host NCAA championships here, but we just didn't have the flexibility to do it. And, and one of the things that I, I think personally could be really great is, as you know, the convention center in D.C. is only blocks away from here. Why can't this be an auxiliary location for us to partner, you know, really more broadly with the convention center to bring some of those major conferences in here that would love to have a building and flexibility of 10,000 plus. But, you know, we just can't do it because, you know, we've got other tenants in the building at that point in time. So, you know, we do think there is a market to make this work. And, you know, I, I think we're going to really put our, you know, focus on, on that balance as long with, you know, building out the vision of the new campus that we have in Virginia. So if that's the case, if the case is this city is big enough for two buildings, which it should be, right? I mean, New York has at least two, um, plus like monster theater, uh, a monster theater scene and uh, outdoor venues, same with LA. LA now has two buildings, um, you know, with, with the Clippers new building opening, shortly, but they've had the forum that they still use for concerts and stuff. It's not what it was in the 80s, obviously, um, but Staples or whatever the hell it's called, Crypto.com Arena. Um, now, you know, Chicago's got got one main one, but they've got a ton of things, and not that D.C. doesn't. D.C. has Lincoln Theater and Howard Theater, and obviously the Kennedy Center's a, a monster, uh, both in, in uh, prestige, but also in size. It, it can fill a ton of people. Um, and so you've got these concert venues and things all over, all over town and all over the region. Um, you know, Jiffy Lube Live out in Virginia. Um, you know, there's, there's similar things in Maryland, et cetera. Point is, if the, if, if the calculation for Monumental is this city's big enough for two buildings, then why can't we treat the Caps and the Wizards as two separate teams? Because the only reason you move both is because they're owned by the same guy and you want them both in the same building. But realistically, as we've talked about, the Wizards who play a sport that is more popular in the urban area, that culturally belongs in the city, that fan base-wise is more tied to the city and more tied to Maryland. It's a long history from Baltimore to Landover on down. I realize the Capitals also played in Landover for a time. Um, but 
there, the, all of those things, all of the reasons why people in D.C. and Maryland are specifically upset about the Wizards today. Why can't you just refurbish Capital One Arena since you're going to anyway and have the Wizards stay at Capital One for games? That doesn't mean the thing that that they want in terms of a practice facility can't be in the suburbs. And I think this is an important distinction because a practice facility should be maximized for the players. It has nothing to do with the fans, right? You don't revitalize a, a, an area, a neighborhood around a practice facility because nobody goes to practice. You're not going to lunch and then going to practice as a regular fan of the team. You go to dinner and the game or lunch in the game if it's an afternoon tilt on a weekend. Or maybe you go to the game and dinner after. But if Capital One's going to stay as a basketball arena, and unless you're going to downsize it so much or unflex it, because it sounds like they're going to make it flexible where it can be 10000 for the Mystics or it can be 20000 for an NCAA championship because you can't, you can't make it a 10,000-seat arena permanently and expect the NCAA to bring anything other than nothing to you just straight up. Like, you're not getting even a first-round game um, or a conference tournament at 10,000 seats. At 20, now you're a real arena like the rest of of the country, and and you're fine. So if you're going to have to keep a 20,000-seat basketball arena anyway, why not take 41 nights a year off the calendar of the Capitals and move them to Virginia, build your campus, build Monumental Sports Network, build Monumental Sports Entertainment's global headquarters, build your eSports, build all the things that you want that would be better with more space. And that's a part of this that I am fully willing to admit and admitted yesterday um, and have admitted all day today. Like, there's parts of this that are undeniably better for the, the purposes. But the purpose of the games is to win them and for people to show up to watch them. And the people that are going to more show up for Wizards games are are better suited to go to Capital One Arena than they are this new Potomac Yard site. And so why not just keep the Wizards here? And then it allow, he, he, there's, there's so much benefit to this, and I'm sure uh, Jim Van Stone can talk to me about why it doesn't make sense tomorrow, and he knows the numbers far better than I do because that's his job. Um, but it would allow the Caps and the Wizards to play at home on the same night, something that currently can't happen. So there's more flexibility within the NBA and the NHL scheduling. And obviously, they know how to handle that. Um, I mean, shoot, at the Staples Center right now, before the Clippers move into their new building next year, you have the Clippers, the Lakers, two NBA teams, and the Kings, an NHL team, all playing at once. So like these these things can be worked around, but it's easier, and if you want to be flexible with events coming in uh, and having alternate place to play or concerts or whatever, like it's less crowded at the new place. So you could have, like you could double dip more often is basically what I'm saying is instead of the Capitals here or the Capitals there and the Wizards here as I sit in DC doing the show, um, you could have them playing on the same night. You could have one of them plus a concert which I guess could happen at the old place, but you're never going to have the idea of them playing on the same night and the flexibility that brings as the main tenants of the building. And so I think for logistical reasons, it could work. I think for 
cultural reasons, it could work. I think your commitment to downtown, if you're serious about wanting to be a part of the solution of revitalizing downtown D.C., I think that helps your case there. And I don't know how much of a, a monetary loss it is. And you get to get the practice facility and, and all that stuff that you want at Potomac Yards. And the, the idea of practicing and playing at different places is something, one, that you're doing already with ESA and, and Capital One Arena and is common for basically every team in every sport. Every Most teams now have a separate practice facility. Uh, you know, look at Ashburn and FedEx Field. Um, some teams in the NFL have started to kind of do the combo thing. There are a couple of teams around the NBA uh, and the NHL that practice at their, their main arena. But mostly, especially in those two sports, your practice facility and your game facility are different. So that's not a problem at all. And I just think if the announcement yesterday morning had been we are moving the Washington Capitals to Virginia. It's a better fit for our fan base who is more Virginia-based. We want to have something to anchor this new gigantic entertainment district that we're going to create, and we think the Capitals can do that on top of a world-class concert venue, a world-class entertainment venue, all the stuff. And maybe the Wizards play there on occasion. Like, I don't, I don't figure out the logistics the details later. But the Wizards belong in D.C. because they are hashtag for the district. They belong within the boundary stones. Then I think the vitriol that came out of yesterday's announcement from two of the three corners of the DMV would have been almost entirely mitigated. One more P.S. on this, just real quick. Um, not really, I mean, of course it's related, but not fully related to uh, what I was just saying. The idea that we talk about all of Northern Virginia together is also something that is very silly. As someone who used to live in Reston, and that, that 267 corridor, I would much rather go to D.C. from there than I would to Alexandria. Getting to Alexandria is a disaster. From other parts of Northern Virginia. Is it more convenient if you live on 95 South? Yes, because you get off the highway sooner that you would then turn into 395 and take into DC. Sure. So there is, I'm not saying that there aren't parts of Northern Virginia that will be better served by this location. Obviously, if you're in Alexandria and you don't have to leave, that's amazing. But if you live in Tyson's, Reston, Herndon, Ashburn, Sterling, um, I would say probably the same for most of the, the I-66 corridor as well. Nevertheless, folks in Maryland, like this is this is actually worse to get to than in the district. Because whether you drove to like an East Falls church and hopped on the metro or you drove all the way into the city and used one of the many parking garages around, like you didn't have to deal with Route 1. You didn't have to deal with the Beltway. You didn't have to deal potentially with the Woodrow Wilson Bridge. Like you didn't have to deal with all that stuff. And I do think it's kind of hilarious that like, we just lump Northern Virginia together. As someone who has lived in Northern Virginia, um, I now live in D.C., but lived there for the better part of seven years. Like, I always thought of there's kind of two Northern Virginias, which I know is like, probably stunning to some people, but it really always to me felt like two different Northern Virginias, that there was the, the I-66 and, and 267 corridors, and then there was the 395 corridor, 
that once you had to cross the beltway and get through that mess and kind of cross over Tyson's corner, you were you were talking about a different part of the region um, in a way that we just kind of lumped together for most of this conversation. Some of you will probably tweet me and tell me that I'm wrong. It's fine. Some of you don't even care at all because you live in Maryland and this all sucks uh, to now think about getting to Alexandria. Um, but that is what it is. Just a floating thought that I've had uh, in the back of my head that floated to the front as we wrap up the show. Uh, we fully wrap up the show. Real things, real people said into real microphones next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. You missed any of the show today, very much worth uh, going back and checking it out uh, at the Team 980 on YouTube. You can rewind uh, Team 980, of course, on the free Odyssey app. You can rewind and we will start putting up the highlights on demand. In fact, on the audio side, if you just search uh, your favorite podcast app for the Hoffman Show, Anthony's already got a bunch of it up, at least I presume. That's typically how that works. You're not behind. I didn't just lie to the people. Uh, I'm all the way caught up. Uh, but like most I, of the show is up. There, I, there's not nothing up. Oh, yeah. Mo- majority of the show is up. I'm going to put up your last segment right now. And then, uh, yeah. That turned into a, a sneaky good segment. It was a great segment. Just, you know, sometimes I wonder things aloud. Yeah. And then sometimes people are like, no, that's actually a terrible idea. And I'm like, okay. I'm open to new information. I'm excited to talk to Jim tomorrow morning. Um, so Jim Van Stone, um, we're taping tomorrow morning, full transparency. Uh, so we'll have that interview for you tomorrow. Anthony, do we want to slate? Let's see. Tomorrow's a Friday, a football Friday powered by your local Honda dealer. Um, do, what do we do on Fridays? I feel like, why do I feel like I haven't been in on a Friday? I was here last Friday. We do around the NFL. We do around the NFL at five 30. Take command. Oh, last week was a bye week That's why last Friday was. Oh, week. yep. Yeah, we definitely will have some take command. We'll definitely go around the NFL. Um, I think we'll probably have more coverage of this story as well. So, uh, Jim Van Stone. Uh, I'm going to say either four. We do our pick six at six, so that means Jim will be at 4.30. So, there we go. We just That's how we do the rundown on the fly here. Um, anything else that we should mention from a housekeeping note, Anthony? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've... Covered all bases. Excellent. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to mention. No, anything on my phone that that's sometimes I pull stuff up as a reminder. Nope. All right. That means we got time for real things. Many real things that real people said in real microphones. Real things. We're not gonna be sunk this year. Real people. Five and eleven. Not very good. Said into real microphones. You know the culture is actually damn good. You cheated, Craig. I did cheat a little bit. I knew what time the show ended because it says it on the board. Yes. We did that every day. You know what's also funny? So, I'm, if you listen to the end of the show with frequency, uh, you know. Uh, because I occasionally spill the behind-the-scenes secrets, and of course those that are watching on YouTube see this happen every day, Anthony gives me a secret hand signal uh, that is telling me what time I need the show to end because we have a hard out. Um, A hard out in the radio business means, like, your mic cuts off, you stop talking at that time. Um, And while, like, on a network, like, I, I remember when I interned at ESPN, like, ESPN Radio, it was preset. So, like, if you kept talking past the hard out, nobody would hear you. We could just screw it up, and it's not really a hard out. Like, the mic doesn't shut off, and the system doesn't take over on its own. 
Um, but I I would like to be out at the time that Anthony gives me, so we smoothly transition over to the network at seven o'clock. Uh, in this case, the Maryland Sports Network. Right? We have top talking terps tonight. We actually have BetMGM. Oh, BetMGM. There's no talking terps tonight. No. Oh, okay. BetMGM tonight is coming up after us. So we want to like smoothly transition into that. And um, the reason we use a hand signal is because the way we used to run our YouTube stream, if Anthony used the talkback feature in my headphones, it would go over the stream. That's not true anymore. We have a separate audio feed. But the hand signal has stayed, which I appreciate. There was no signal given to 49ers punter Steve Wisnowski on Sunday when he ran a fake punt uh, in the 49ers' latest demolition of another NFL team. Um, he just apparently saw it happen and took off. And then he talked about it. Call play, or did you wing it on that play? And Wisnowski had to take it. He might get it. Wisnowski's going to run for the first down and more. Uh, winged it. So you just spotted that it was open and you took off? Sort of the whole rush team it sort of crushed down on the protection and it was open so yeah it just ran is that one of the things on the sideline where where kyle says no 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 oh yes 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 uh, i don't really know what happened but it was a good one <laughs> i love it. also he's an, he's an aussie hey mate uh, i don't know the snap was a little bit to my right and uh, i saw the uh the block has crashed down and i just took off running that is an insane play because if you don't pick that play up then the couch just kills you <laughs> Brutal. Scary. Scarier than some of the animals down there in the, in Australia. All right. That's our radio show. Now I'm turning into like an old-timey British broadcaster. Uh, we're done. I'll see you tomorrow at Capital One Arena.